This is The Guardian. Today, why the stand-up comedian Grace Campbell refuses to be silenced about sex. Just a quick warning before we start, this episode does include sexually explicit references and the account of a sexual assault in detail, which some listeners will find upsetting. Please take care while listening. Grace Campbell knows that she's not everyone's cup of tea. Does Elliot give good head? (laughs) With a name like Elliot, he should. (laughs) As a young woman, she has been branded as a sex-positive comedian, while her male peers are simply seen as comedians. On stage, she is unashamedly herself. This is the thing, guys. I'm a fucking contradiction when it comes to relationships. Like, I, I would love for all men to leave me alone. But at the same time, I would like them to form an orderly queue outside my house and ride through me like a train. But for Grace, being open about sex isn't just for shock or giggles. Her experiences have taught her to speak up. It is an act of defiance for me to be like, things have happened to me in my life where like men have tried to take away like my like loud voice around sex. Last year, Grace was shaken by a devastating assault. I think like ultimately my experiences with sexual assault and rape are the reason why I've always, always refused to be like sexually silenced. And now more than ever, She's determined to be heard. From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Nikbal. Today in Focus, Grace Campbell made her name as a sex-positive comedian. But will her openness now be used against her? Grace Campbell, you're a stand-up comedian and you've made your name in particular with material that's really open about sex. Why did you first start talking about sex on stage? Because it's funny. (laughs) When I started writing comedy, I decided to mine a lot of material from, like, my love life and my sex life and then, like, the sex lives of my friends. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to become like a comedian and become like this sex-positive comedian. It was really an unconscious thing. I just found it really funny. For people who haven't seen your show or follow your Instagram, what sort of things do you cover? I just talk, I guess, quite candidly about my sex life. Like, do you know the stroke, the breaststroke? Do you know how I think he got the name the breaststroke right? You know when a man, Elliot, is going down on you and they come up for a breath of air and to stroke the breast? My show really varies. The show I'm doing at the moment is a lot about the kinds of men that I've gone for and, like, football lads and and how those kinds of men have affected my self-esteem. And when you first started out, what kind of reaction did you get? And was that reaction different coming from men and coming from women? Young women have always responded really well to my stand-up. Younger men have as well. I've noticed the young men who do come because they're dragged along by their girlfriends actually end up having a good time. People from my parents' generation, for example, the men of that generation are much more likely to be like, this is disgusting, this girl is making me sick. 
So it feels like there's a bit of a generational difference there. And you've mentioned your parents. And just for context, it's worth saying that we met before a couple of years ago when I interviewed you and your dad, Alistair Campbell, because you were launching a podcast together. Hi, my name's Grace Campbell. I'm a comedian and feminist campaigner. And ever since podcasts started, I've been telling my dad he should do one. Dad, say hello. Hello. I am Alistair Campbell. I am also a campaigner and I fear I inspire a lot of Grace's comedy. Now, for listeners who might not remember, Alistair was Tony Blair's Director of Communications throughout the new Labour years. Grace, sex is not something parents usually like hearing their kids talking about. What did yours think? Honestly, like, I've never had any problems with it. They just both think I'm really funny. My dad loves coming to my shows when he can because he's really proud and thinks I'm a really good comedian and loves the way that I hold Mm. my own and hold a room. And I have, like, looked out into the audience at some point and noticed some people have definitely come because my dad loves to plug my show, even though I think he should do a warning of, like, don't go if you're just going to then, like, sit there with your eyes closed. Oh, God. Did lots of politics dads then turn up to your show? There was a man the other day in the front row and I asked him, like, how comes you heard of the show? He was like, oh, I listened to your dad's podcast. And then the man, bless him, was so jarred by me that he did just have his eyes closed whenever I was talking about, like, anal or, like, putting a Malteser in my vagina. This poor man was just... It was like watching a child on a roller coaster. Like, he just was willing it to end. What about the reaction of other older women? You told me about older men having quite a visceral reaction and feeling the ick, but what about your mum's generation? I love that you just said ick. It's my favourite word. (laughs) They're much more open to it, definitely. But I do think women really love it, even if they are from like a slightly different generation, because they appreciate that I'm talking about things that have for a long time and in so many ways been bound up in shame for us. And even without that sort of personal sort of reaction that someone in the audience has as an older woman, it's also professionally a levelling of the playing field. I mean, male stand-ups have talked about their sex lives and their bits forever, like in very graphic detail. So I guess in that way, it's redressing the balance. Well, but also like nobody refers to those men as sex positive, quote unquote. Nobody's like, oh my God, this is a sex positive comedian or like he's such a sex positive writer. It's just like... It's a man talking about sex. And I think there's a purpose for the term sex positive and it is good because for now we do need to embrace it when women and like queer people are being sex positive because for so long that part of our lives has been really muted. But I just hate the disparity between like it being a big deal when a woman does it and it being very standard that a man does it. Grace, I do think still, even that said, a lot of people find what you do pretty brave and bold. What was sex for you and your friends like in your teenage years? Well, no boys wanted to get with me when I was a teenager. Then when I started to have sex, I think I was underwhelmed massively. You know, I've spoken about this in my book, but we all had experiences as teenagers, which I think now you'd be like, oh, that was assault, you know, like being asleep and like waking up on a boy's fingering you. That is stuff that just used to happen to us all the time and we thought it was completely normal. And on reflection, that was obviously not normal at all. So I think we all had a really warped idea of sex and also what like 
basic boundaries were, there was a whole disconnect and a huge bit of the dialogue was missed where we were not taught that the basic notions of consent mean that if you are asleep and somebody's doing something to you, that is not consent. But we would be like, oh, ha ha, this happened. Do you know what I mean? Like we would laugh it off so much. Yeah. You've also grown up at a time when porn is so normalised and easily accessible. Have you felt its impact and how has it influenced yours and your friends' sex lives? In my personal friendship group at school, none of us girls were actually watching porn. We were just then having to experience porn through all of our first ever sexual experiences. So like we'd not watched it, but then we thought that being choked was really normal. We came to that via men boys experiences of watching a lot of porn and they were watching a lot of porn so I have a good relationship with porn now I have a good relationship with masturbating now and I watch lots of like ethical like feminist porn and that's great but I think then it definitely did have an effect in that some of the things that we were experiencing had come from this fact that boys were watching pornography online in a way that just wasn't checked in any way Grace, to do the work that you do, over the years, you've obviously come to a place where you feel really empowered about sex. And by your late 20s, I wonder, what did that actually look like for you? Um, what my whole show is about, it's all about me getting to a place in my life, which I am at now, and it's taken a really long time to get here, where I do just feel like happy and content alone. And I don't feel like oh, I need to be having sex. I don't need to have a man in my life to validate my existence. And that's been a huge, mm. huge like journey for me. What doing what I do has helped me with in terms of making me feel empowered around sex is... Like I said before, it's like I control the narrative now. It's my stories, it's my jokes, it's me talking about my own experience sexually and being able to say what the fuck I want, and that is empowering. Last November... After a series of relationships had ended, you decided to have a change of scene and headed to Los Angeles for a couple of months. But an awful thing happened while you were out there and you recently decided to write about it for The Guardian. Can you tell me about that trip? It kept feeling like things in London. It just wasn't working out for me. And I was like, okay, Mm. I am going to just go to Los Angeles for a period of time. I was in LA and then... I last minute decided to go to Las Vegas because a couple of my friends from London were in America and they were going there for a festival. And we got to Vegas and I like honestly can't like do the opposite of recommend Vegas enough. Like I really didn't enjoy it. After the festival, like we went back to like some of the casinos and then we went to a nightclub. And in this nightclub, I met this guy and we were just like talking and Me and this guy ended up leaving where we were and we were flirting heavily and we were like getting with each other and then we couldn't get a hotel room and so then went to like find a place to have sex. We had sex in the staff corridor of the hotel on like Mm. really high up, the 23rd floor or something. And then afterwards when we'd finished and that all that part was fine this is what I say in the article like that part was completely consensual I was fun I was enjoying it I was having a good time then we tried to get out of this stairwell and the door was locked what did you do then 
we called the reception and I was like, we're stuck in this stairwell. Could you get someone to come and get us? And I remember it was a woman and then there was a man in the background and they were like laughing. And I just knew they were thinking, oh my God, this girl is a slut and she's gotten herself stuck because she's been like having sex. And I was like, whatever. And I like stuck it on them. And I was like, I'm stuck here and I would like you to come and get me out, please. Thank you very much. And then nobody came. And so after a while, I fell asleep on these metal stairs. They were like really hard, cold metal stairs. What was your interaction with the guy like at this point? And was he worried about not being able to get out? No, I mean, I was just getting really irate. I felt really claustrophobic and... I was suddenly being like, why am I in this random stairwell with this guy? And it was four in the morning or something. Mm. I was tired and I'd been out all day. So then I fall asleep on the stairwell and I woke up and I like came to and I realised that he was having sex with me only. And it really hurt. Like, that's what I remember. The first thing is just being like, this is so painful. And I tried to get him to stop. And then he was like, oh, it's just because I didn't have a condom because we'd already used the one condom that we had. He was just pressing me down. and I could feel in my shins. I had massive cuts and bruises all over my legs afterwards because I was like being pressed down onto these stairs and they were really hard. Can't emphasize that enough. You know, those stairs that are like so sharp on the edge. <sighs> and I was like, this is just so painful. And I tried to get him off of me. And I remember like, I remember really like trying to push him off of me and he just didn't. And then he came and then his body like softened and then I sort of slivered out from underneath of him and made a leg for it. Grace, I'm yeah, I mean I don't have any words. I'm really sorry about what happened to you and I'm just yeah. I'm gonna pause a second. Um Grace, what sort of happens next? So what happened next was the next day I woke up and the girls were asking me like how the rest of my night was and I told them what happened I was like it was really fucked up and I said it I didn't sort of brush it off and then they um one second I'm sorry um and then they were like really worried about me and they were amazing they they were just, like, so angry. They were so angry on my behalf. And they just sort of, like, wanted to protect me. And we went back to LA. And then I was shocked. And I was really trying my best to process it. I was still in LA for, like, another month or so. And I remember one day I got in an Uber to go and meet my friend in downtown LA. And I was in the Uber. And the driver was going a different route to what was on the map and I was I just started to really spiral in this cab because mm. I was like where is he going like why is he going away from where I was meant to be going and in the end the guy dropped me off but for about 40 minutes of this journey I was just having like this insane panic attack and then I remember after that getting to meet my friend who I was meeting and just being like oh my god I'm so scared because I just feel like oh I'd not thought about this happening I'd been in like a happy relationship for a few years and I had some like you know things that didn't end up well with men but nothing like you know sinister I'd felt safe around men for years now at this point yeah. And then suddenly I was like, how am I in this place where I feel like really scared and really like volatile and like something bad could happen at any moment. And I remember it was actually that moment that was the real catalyst because it was after that that I was like, oh, I really need to like properly process this. 
coming up. How did Grace deal with what happened? And has it changed how she feels about sex? Grace, at any point, did you think about going to the police? This is the whole point of the article that I've written. The sad truth is I just knew how that was going to go and I wasn't willing to, A, put myself through it, but also be treated in the way that I knew someone like me would be treated. There are so many layers to this. Firstly, all women are treated in one specific way when they go to the police about a rape and it is as though they are the ones have done something wrong. The ways that they'll use your life history to paint a picture of you. I quote this woman in my piece who said to the BBC that like she'd gone at some point in the last few years to the police and she felt like she was the criminal and she was being treated like she was the one who, you know, committed a crime. You're essentially and can be and we know the facts and we know what happens to people who go to the police and and take rape charges to court. You are treated in a way that the opposition will gaslight you. And then I knew on top of that, I have this layer of like, I have spoken so candidly about sex and I literally used to have a bit in my show about how when I do anal, I don't even need lube. I knew that that would be used against me because it's like, oh, now you're saying that it was really painful when you were like anally raped, but you once said on stage that actually your arse was loose. And it was like, in what reality would I want to put myself through that? And just to add, there is one stat in your piece that really underlines why women don't go to the police. You wrote that in 2021, in England and Wales alone, more than 63,000 allegations of rape were taken to the police. And only 820 of those, that's 1.3%, resulted in a charge or summons. Grace, you wrote about how one male friend in particular responded to what happened to you. Can you tell me about that conversation? Somebody suggested that, like, me being so obsessed with men and the fact that I'm writing a show about, you know, my obsession with male validation, that he asked me if he thought there was a connection between me being so obsessed with men and me getting raped. I don't need to explain why that's wild. I shouldn't have to explain why that's wild. Anybody should hear that and be like, that's wild. (laughs) And I think it's reflective of the way that the world sees women who are unashamed and very willing to be really open about every thought that crosses their mind when it comes to sex and their relationships with men, okay? And people think that if you're doing that, that's in some way relating to how you're going to be perceived. One of the things that drives me mad is that, like, Men think that because I talk about sex loads in my stand-up, that that means that I'm going to be this super, like, hardcore, into BDSM, a completely different person to what I actually am. I just want to be spooned and, like, just want to be loved and just want to have, like, nice sex with people and want to be able to joke about, like, when sex goes wrong in the funny ways. I just think we're lacking in such nuance when it comes to the way that the world sees as quote-unquote sex-positive women. And I don't like the way that just because I talk about sex, it means that, like, people sort of see me in one way. And then because of that way that they see me, think that, you know, some of the things that have happened to me are my fault because they're not my fault. So after everything that's happened, how do you feel moving forwards? And has what's happened changed the way you feel about sex? 
No, I mean, I've had to do some work to heal from it, but I've said I'm never going to let that ruin sex for me because I think, like, that's what I'm so defiant to because I'm like, I'm not having some man who, I don't know, doing this thing to me be something that's going to take away all of the work and all of the years I've put into my life of becoming this woman who is completely emboldened to just talk very openly about sex. I know how much me doing what I do has helped other women. And even like when this article came out, I got probably like 2,000 messages on Instagram. Wow. People opening up to me, but like the amount of people who I know who got in touch and just were like so, so, so grateful, I guess, because I am saying something that, you know, it's not like I'm not the first person in the world to say this. We've all been saying this for years now but I was I guess bringing more light to the fact in the past reality that like being a woman who has worked really hard have a really good relationship with my sexuality and it's helped me remind myself that what I do in my job isn't just frivolous it is doing a good thing. Grace finally I mean it's not on you to completely dismantle the patriarchy but if there is one thing that you most commonly tell young women about sex and relationships or something that you've learned, what would that be? I think the thing that I say to people the most and the thing that I find myself saying to myself the most and I say to my friends the most is don't internalise what other people are projecting onto you. So, for example, if you get ghosted or if you get rejected or if somebody does something to make you doubt your sense of self, you just have to understand that people are like separate beings and someone else's behaviour isn't always because of you and isn't always your fault and you haven't created that. And that is so hard and it's so much easier said than done. And I'll say like the books that have helped me get to this place are like The Body Keeps the Score, which is an incredible book about trauma. Attached, which is a book about attachment styles. Attached really helped me understand like my relationships and how I've had a tendency to get in slightly codependent relationships. So trying to get to a place where you don't internalise other people's behaviour is a game changer because it makes you less fearful, I guess, of putting yourself out there. And the one thing I'll say is, so I got like an amazing response from the article, like it completely blew me away. And I was really anxious about it. And I was really anxious about whether or not to do it at the beginning. I got one bad comment in a like, mixture of thousands of really lovely ones. And it was someone being like, this girl sounds really disturbed. And it sounds like she really was putting herself in such dangerous situations. And I'm sure someone will listen to this and be at this point when I'm saying this and be like, "Mm, I was thinking the same thing. And it's like, if you've read my piece and listened to this and you still think that, you have a lot of work to do because that is not on me having to explain that any further. I can live my life how I want to. I can talk about sex however much I want. I can have sex with as many people or as little people as I want. I can be like as quote unquote sex positive as I want to. That never, ever, ever warrants somebody raping me. Grace, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Grace Campbell. As she mentioned, she's written Amazing Disgrace, a book about shame, if you'd like to read more from her. I would also recommend her piece, Writing About Her Rape, for The Saturday Magazine, which you can find at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Khatena. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Nicole Jackson, Elizabeth Cassin, and Josh Kelly. Next week, the team will be taking its summer break, but don't worry. 
we will be rerunning our two favourite mini-series of the year so far. Do tune in for a chance to catch up with The Division, New Orleans, which includes an update on what's happened with that story since those episodes first aired in May. And then there's also Michael Safi's brilliant two-part telling of The Shadow Man. We'll be back with new episodes of Today in Focus on Tuesday the 30th of August. See you then. This is The Guardian. 